0: section 14 of stories from the fairy queen this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org stories from the fairy queen by mary macleod what befell on the first and second days of the tournament on arriving at the scene of the tournament the little company divided Blandamore and those of his party going to one side, and the rest to the other side. But boastful Bragadocio, from vainglory, chose rather to leave his companions, so that men might gaze more on him alone. The rest disposed themselves in groups, as seemed best to each one, every knight with his own lady. Then, first of all, came forth Sir Saturane, bearing the precious relic in a golden casket, so that no evil eye should profane it. Then, softly drawing it out of the dark, he showed it openly, so that all men might mark it, a gorgeous girdle of marvellous workmanship, curiously embossed with pearls and precious stones of great value. It was the same girdle which Florimel had lately lost. Sir Sadarine hung it aloft in open view to be the prize of might and beauty. The moment it was uncovered, the glorious sight affected every one's gaze and stole the hearts of all who looked on it so that they uttered vain vows and wishes. Thrice happy, it seemed to them, would be the lady and knight who gained such a splendid reward for their peril and labor. Then the bold Sir Saturane took in his hand a great spear, such as he was accustomed to wield, and advanced forward from all the other knights, set his shield in place, showing that he was ready for the fray. The warriors who fought on his side were called the knights of maidenhood. They were the challengers, and their aim, was to keep the Golden Girdle in their own possession. Against him from the other side stepped out a pagan knight well skilled in arms, and often tried in battle. He was called Bruncheval the Bold. These two met together so furiously that neither could sustain the other's force, and both champions were felled to the ground where they lay senseless. Seeing this, other knights rode quickly to their aid, some fighting on one side and some on the other. Only Braggadocio, when his turn came, showed no desire to hasten to the help of his party, but stood still, as one who seemed doubtful or dismayed. Then Triamond, angry to see him delay, sternly stepped forward and caught away his spear, with which he so sorely assailed one of the knights that he bore both horse and rider to the ground. To avenge his fall, one knight after another pressed forward, but Triamond vanquished them all, for no one seemed able to withstand his power. By this time Sir Saturane had awakened from his swoon. When he looked around and saw the merciless havoc that Sir Triamond had wrought to the knights of his party, his heart was almost broken with bitterness, and he wished himself dead rather than in so bad a plight. He began at once to gather up his scattered weapons, and as it happened he found his steed ready. Like a flash of fire from the anvil, he rode fiercely to where Triamond was driving his foes before him and aiming his spear at him, he pierced his side badly. Triamon could scarcely keep from falling, but he withdrew softly from the field as well as he could, so that no one saw plainly what had happened. Then the challengers, the knights of maidenhood, began to range the field anew and pride themselves on victory, since no one dared to maintain battle against them. By that time it was evening, which forced them to refrain from fighting, and the trumpets sounded to compel them to cease. So Sir Saturane was judged to be the best knight on that first day. The next morning the tournament began anew. Saturane, with his gallant band, was the first to appear, but Sir Triamond was unable to prepare for battle because of his wound. This grieved him much, and Campbell, seeing this, and eager to win honour on his friend's behalf, took the shield and armour which were well known to belong to Triamond, and without saying a word to anyone, put them on and went forth to fight there he found Saturane lord of the field, triumphing in great joy, for no one was able to stand against him. Envious of his glory and eager to avenge his friend's indignity, Campbell at once bent his spear against him. After a furious battle he overthrew Sir Saturane, but before he could seize his shield and weapons, which were always the reward of the victor, a hundred knights had pressed round him to rescue Saturane, and in the hope of taking Campbell prisoner. Undismayed the latter fought valiantly but what could one do against so many? At last he was taken captive. When news of this was brought to Triamon he forgot his wound, and instantly starting up looked for his armor, but he sought it in vain, for it was not there, Campbell had taken it. Triamon therefore threw on himself Campbell's armor, and nimbly rushed forward to take his chance. There he found the warrior band leading away his friend, a sorry sight for him to see. He thrust into the thickest of that knightly crowd and smote down all between till he came to where he had seen Campbell, like a captive thrall, between two other knights. Triumet attacked them so fiercely that they were obliged to let their prisoner go, and then the two friends, fighting together, scattered their foes in alarm as two greedy wolves might a flock of sheep. They followed in pursuit till the sound of the trumpet warned every one to rest. Then... All, with one consent, yielded the prize of this second day to Triamon and Campbell as the two best knights. But Triamon resigned it to Campbell, and Campbell gave it back to Triamon, each trying to advance the other's deed of arms, and make his praise preferred before his own. So the judgment was deferred to another day. How Britomart did battle for the golden girdle! The last day of the tournament came when all the knights again assembled to show their feats of arms. Many brave deeds were done that day, but Saturane above all the other warriors displayed his wondrous might. From first to last he remained fighting, and though sometimes for a little while fortune failed him, yet he always managed to retrieve his honor, and with unwearied power he kept the prize secure for his own party. The field was strewn with shivered spears and broken swords and scattered shields, showing how severe the fight had been. There might be seen also loose steeds running at random, whose luckless riders had been overthrown, and squires hastening to help their wounded masters. But still the knights of maidenhood came off the best, till there entered on the other side a stranger knight. Whence he came no man could tell. He was in a quaint disguise, hard to be discovered, for all his armor was like a savage dress decked with woody moss and his steed had trappings of oak leaves that seemed fit for some savage mortal. Charging the enemy, this stranger smote down night after night till everyone began to shun the dreadful sight of him. They all wondered greatly who he was and whence he came, and began to ask each other his name. But when they could not learn it anyhow, it seemed most suitable to his wild disguise to term him the savage knight. But truly his right name was otherwise though known to few he was called Sir Artegall, the champion of justice, the doughtiest and the mightiest knight then living. Sir Saturane and all his band were so dismayed by his strength and valour that none of them dared remain in the field, but were beaten and chased about all day till the evening. Then, as the sun set, out of the thickest rout rushed forth another strange knight, who put the glory of the savage knight to shame. So can nothing be accounted happy till the end." This strange knight charged his mighty spear at Artigal in the midst of his pride, and smote him so sorely on the visor that he fell back off his horse and had small desire to rise again. Campbell, seeing this, ran at the stranger with all his might and main, but was soon likewise to be seen lying on the field. Triamon thereupon was inwardly full of wrath, and determined to avenge the shame done to his friend, but by his friend he soon found himself lying in no less need of help. Blandamore had seen everything from beginning to end, and when he beheld this he was sorely displeased, and thought he would soon mend matters, but he fared no better than the rest before him. Many others likewise ran at the night, but in like manner they were all dismounted, and of a truth it was no wonder. No power of man could stay the force of that enchanted spear, for the stranger was no other than the famous Britomart. Thus the warrior-princess restored that day to the knights of maidenhood the prize which was well nigh lost, and bore away the prize of prowess from them all. Then the shrill trumpets began to bray loudly, and bade them leave their labor and long toll for the joyous feast and other gentle play, for now the precious golden girdle was to be awarded to the most beautiful lady. Through all ages it has been the custom that the prize of beauty has been joined with the praise of arms and chivalry and there are special reasons for this, for each relies much on the other. That knight who can best defend a fair lady from harm is surely the most fitting to serve her, and that lady who is fairest and who will never swerve from her faith is the most fitting to deserve his service. So after the proof of prowess well ended came next the contest of the sovereign grace of beauty, in which the girdle of Florimel should fall to her who most excelled. Many wished to win it only from vanity and not for the wondrous virtues which some said it possessed. For the girdle gave the gift of constant and loyal love to all who wore it. But whosoever was false and fickle could never keep it on, for it would loosen itself, or else tear asunder. It was said to be of magic origin, and Florimel, to whom it had been given long ago, held it dear as her life. No wonder, then, that so many ladies sought to win it, for she who wore it was accounted to be peerless, the feast therefore being ended, the selected judges went down into the late field of battle to decide this doubtful case, for which all the ladies contended. But first inquiry was made as to which of those knights who had lately torned had won the wager. Then it was judged that Saturane had done best on the first day, for he ended last, having begun first. The second day was adjudged to Triamon, because he saved the victor from disaster, for campbell was in all men's sight the victor till by mishap he fell into the hands of his foemen the third day's prize was adjudged to the stranger knight whom they all termed the knight of the ebony spear and it was given by good right to britomart for she had vanquished the savage knight who until then was the victor and appeared at the last unconquered for the last is deemed best to britomart therefore the fairest lady was adjudged as a companion but Artigal greatly grudged this, and was much vexed that this stranger had forestalled him both of honour and of the reward of victory. He could not dispute what was decreed, but he inwardly brooded over the disgrace, and awaited a fit time to be avenged. This matter being settled, and every one agreed, it next followed to decide the paragon of beauty, and yield to the fairest lady her due prize. How the golden girdle was awarded to the false florimel! Then, each knight in turn began to claim the golden girdle on behalf of his own lady. First, Campbell brought to their view his fair wife, Cambina, covered with a veil. The veil being withdrawn at once revealed her surpassing loveliness, which stole all wavering hearts. Next, Sir Triamond uncovered the face of his dear Candace, which shone with such beauty that the eyes of all were dazzled as with a great light. After her, Paradel produced his false duessa. With her forged beauty, Duessa entrapped the hearts of some who considered her the fairest, and after these a hundred more ladies appeared in turn, each one of whom seemed to excel the others. At last, Britomart openly showed her lovely Amorette, whose face uncovered seemed like the heavenly picture of some bright angel. Then all who saw her thought that Amorette would surely bear away the prize. But Blandemore, who imagined that he had the real true Florimel, now displayed the snowy lady, and the sight, once seen, dismayed all the rest. For all who had seemed bright and fair before now appeared base and contemptible. Compared with her they were only like stars in comparison with the sun. Everyone who saw her was ravished with wonder, they thought she could be no mortal but must be some celestial being. They were all glad to see Florimel, yet thought Florimel was not so fair as this lady like some base metal overlaid with gold, which deceives those who see it, was this false image who passed for the true florimel. Thus do forged things sometimes show the fairest. Then, by the decision of all, the golden belt was granted to her as to the fairest lady, and bringing it to her they thought to place it round her waist, as became her best. But this they could by no means do, for every time they fastened the girdle it grew loose and fell away, as if there were some secret fault in her. Again and again she put it round her waist, but again and again it fell apart. All the people wondered at the strange sight, and each one thought according to his own fancy. But the snowy lady herself thought it was some spiteful trick, and it filled her with wrath and shame as a thing devised to bring disgrace on her. Then many other ladies likewise tried to put on the girdle, but it would stay on none of them, as soon as they thought it fast, immediately was untied again. Seeing this, a scornful knight began to jest and sneer, saying that it was a pity that among so many beautiful ladies not one was found worthy to wear the girdle. All the knights began to laugh, and all the ladies to frown, till at last the gentle amoret also essayed to prove the girdle's power. She set it round her waist, and immediately it fitted perfectly, with no difficulty whatever, The others were very envious, and the snow lady was greatly fretted. Snatching the belt angrily from Amorette she again tied it round her own body. But none the more would it fit her. Nevertheless, to her as her due right was the girdle yielded, for every one thought she was the true Florimel to whom it really belonged. And now she had to choose her companion knight. Then she adjudged the prize to the knight of the ebony spear who had won it in fight. But Britomart would not assent to this, nor give up her own companion Amoret for the sake of that strange lady, whose wondrous beauty she esteemed less than the wisdom and goodness of Amoret. When the other knights saw Britomart refuse, they were all very glad, for each hoped Florimel would choose himself. But the judges said that after Britomart, she must next choose the second best, and that was the savage knight. But Sir Artegall had already left in displeasure because he had not won the prize. Then. She was offered Triamond, but Triamond loved Candace and no one else. Then Sir Saturane was a judge to Florimel, and he was right glad to gain so goodly an award, but Paradel and Blandimore and many other knights were very angry and wanted to fight Sir Saturane. The hideous old woman Atte, with her wicked words, stirred them all up to demand and challenge Florimel as their right, the recompense which they deserved for their peril. Amongst the rest, with boastful vain pretense, Bragadocio stepped forward and claimed her as his thrall, having won her in battle long ago. He called the snowy lady herself to witness this, and being asked, she confessed that it was the case. Thereupon all the other knights were more angry than ever, and they were quite ready to prepare anew for battle. But Sir Saturane hit on a plan to appease them. He suggested that the lady herself should choose which knight she preferred and all the others should abide by her choice. This they agreed to. So Florimel was placed in the midst of them all, and every knight hoped she would choose him. Then, having looked a long time at each one, as though she wished to please them all, the snowy lady walked up to Braggadocio, and the two went off together. Britomart took no part in the struggle for Florimel, for as soon as she saw that discord had arisen she left the place. Taking with her the lovely Amoret, who was still looking for Sir Scudamore, Britomart rode off on her first quest to seek her beloved knight Sir Artigal, whose image she had seen in the magic mirror. Little did she know that he was the savage knight with whom she had so lately fought, and who was even now waiting to be revenged on her. Unlucky maid to seek her enemy, unlucky maid to seek far and wide for him whom, when he was nearest, she could not discover because of his disguise." End of section 14.